Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 22nd of October, 2023, 9.30 service. Katie Loffman speaking on Psalm 6. So, Psalm 6, a psalm of David, full of misery and despair. And yet, it ends on a note of hope, with the reassurance that God has heard his prayer. I don't know if this is a psalm by David or a psalm about David, but either way, it's someone bringing their suffering to God. Their thoughts are a bit all over the place and they're throwing themselves on God's mercy. So what's the matter? What's making David so unhappy? Well, the psalm starts with an appeal to God. Don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. In the Old Testament, we often read about God rebuking and disciplining his people. The king represented the whole nation of Israel, and often the sins of the king had consequences for the population, as well as for the king himself. But in this psalm, David is confident in asking God not to act out of anger, but to be merciful. God did punish David for various sins at different times of his life, and he punished the Israelites as a whole as well for turning away from God. Usually that punishment took the form of an attack by one of their warlike neighbours. Eventually, the ultimate punishment was to be exiled from their own country when a lot of the population was carried off to Babylon. But this is a psalm of David, so it's about an earlier time in Israel's history, and it's more personal. Perhaps it's from the period when David was anointed king, but not yet crowned, and he was constantly on the run from Saul and Saul's allies. How long, Lord, how long, he asks in verse 3, how long until he can openly claim the throne? There were many occasions in David's life when he, was veered, when he veered away from God's plan. But his relationship with God was so close that David didn't let it last and it didn't break the relationship. He stayed close to God even when he was in the wrong and when he knew that he was in the wrong. And that's what he's doing in this psalm. He's asking God to act not out of anger but to have mercy on him. He's taking refuge in God himself putting into practice one of the principles from the introduction to the book of Psalms in Psalm 2. Be wise. God's wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God is only scary if we turn away from him or keep our distance. As long as we stay close to God and talk to him, he will help us. David finds that at the end of Psalm 6 when he says, the Lord has heard my weeping, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy, the Lord accepts my prayer. So is this a psalm about God's wrath and God's punishment? Not really, it's a psalm about God's mercy to those who stay close to him. So what about us? Do we need to be scared of God's wrath and his discipline? Well, I'd say no because all the consequences of evil and sin and wrongdoing were borne by Jesus in his death on the cross, and Jesus defeated them. That's why this prayer can be prayed by anyone. So what kind of psalm is Psalm 6? Is it a prayer for relief from oppression? The last verse suggests it might be, 
Verse 10 says, All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. We're hearing a lot in the news about the way Palestine has been oppressed by Israel for years. Can we pray this prayer for them if it's a prayer about freedom from oppression? Lord, do not rebuke Palestine in your anger or discipline them in your wrath. Have mercy on Palestine, Lord, for they are faint. Heal them, Lord, for their bones are in agony. Their souls are in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver Palestine. Save them because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? They're worn out from their groaning. All night long, Palestinians flood their bed with weeping and drench their couch with tears. Their eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all their foes. Away from Palestine, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard the Palestinians weeping. The Lord has heard their cry for mercy. The Lord accepts their prayer. All Palestine's enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. But no, this is a psalm of David, a Jewish prayer. It's been a prayer of Israel for thousands of years. If it's a prayer of relief from oppression, it's a prayer for the relief of Israel's oppression. It seems almost blasphemous to use it to pray for the Palestinians. Lord, do not rebuke Israel in your anger or discipline them in your wrath. Have mercy on Israel, Lord, for they are faint. Heal them, Lord, for their bones are in agony. Their souls are in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver Israel. Save them because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? They are worn out from their groaning. All night long, Israelis flood their bed with weeping and drench their couch with tears. Their eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all their foes. Away from Israel, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard the Israelis weeping. The Lord has heard their cry for mercy. The Lord accepts their prayer. All Israel's enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. I don't think anyone on this planet knows how the conflict between Israel and Palestine can be resolved. But this psalm enables us to bring the situation to God and stand alongside all those who are praying, not only in Gaza, not only in Tel Aviv, but all around the world. And of course, we're standing alongside the millions of people who prayed this prayer for their part of the world for thousands of years. But this prayer is not only a prayer of oppression, it's also a prayer for forgiveness. In our second reading, we heard Luke's account of the woman who came to Jesus in tears over what she'd done, and knowing that she could find mercy and refuge at Jesus' feet. This psalm could well have been what inspired her to come. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, she says. My soul is in deep anguish. She feels bad about the way she's been living and she's confessing it all to Jesus in her tears. She repents of it all and throws herself on Jesus' mercy. 
Skipping ahead a little, she soaks Jesus' couch with her tears. She's surrounded by dinner guests judging her and she can't look them in the eye. She finds, she feels their disapproval and she knows that they're right. All she can do is take refuge in Jesus. Turn and deliver me, she says. Save me because of your unfailing love. Verse 5 of the psalm asks, who can praise you from the grave? And that is a link to the oil that this woman is using to anoint Jesus' feet. It was probably nard, which is one of the spices they used in a burial. Myrrh is also used for burials, the spice that was given to Jesus as a baby. When a similar story to this is told in the other Gospels, Jesus says that this anointing is preparation for his burial. So the answer to the question, who can praise you from the grave, is these burial oils praising Jesus in the manger and in the tomb. And finally, the woman can go in peace. Jesus has heard her outpouring of repentance and has rescued her from those who were oppressing her. He silenced them by pointing out their hypocrisy. Now it's Simon and the other guests who can't look her in the eye. They turn away, embarrassed by Jesus' rebuke. The sinful woman's loving worship of Jesus has put them to shame. But there's another layer in this psalm, and that's its prophecy. It's also a psalm about Jesus. Jesus represented Israel, just as in his day, King David represented the Israelites that he ruled. So a psalm of David is also a psalm of Jesus. Psalm 6 is a psalm about oppression by enemies. It's a psalm about the anguish of sin. It's a psalm about the shadow of death and God's rescue. Of course, it's about Jesus. He came to earth to save the world from evil, and he went to the cross to defeat that evil with good. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he begs God to find another way. But in the end, he submits himself to God's will. He takes on the sin of the world, and he lays down his life as a sacrifice. He's killed and buried in the tomb. Perhaps this psalm is a description of those three days in the tomb. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Sin makes God angry. And here's Jesus carrying all the sin that ever was. Can he trust God to rescue him? He's suffering from his crucifixion, but also from the spiritual agony of separation from God. He's in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Three days. He asked God to save him from death. If Jesus stays dead, no one will ever proclaim God's name again. It will mean evil has won. The world would be a very different place. But Jesus trusts in God's unfailing love. He's groaning in agony and weak from the attacks of evil and all its powers. But in the depths of the most unimaginable suffering, God's mercy is all that's left, all that can save him. But then God answers his prayer. He honours Jesus' sacrifice. Evil is defeated, death is destroyed, and Jesus comes back to life. It's the resurrection, and the powers of evil have lost their strength. God has heard Jesus' cry for mercy, 
a cry made on behalf of all creation. And the great love of Jesus' sacrifice has saved us all. So can we pray this prayer for ourselves? Of course we can. It's a psalm about us too. We too can bring our suffering to God and rejoice in his rescue. Maybe we feel guilty and repentant like the woman who cried at his feet. Maybe we feel oppressed by people or circumstances around us. Maybe we're suffering physically from illness. When we're in the midst of any kind of suffering, we can cry out to God to have mercy, to bring us out of it because of his unfailing love. Psalms like this one help us to come to God honestly, not masking our despair with nice platitudes. They bring God into every part of our messy lives, just like the woman with the oil. It's only when we're honest about those bad things in our life, as she was, that we can truly praise God when he brings us out of them. The problem with the Pharisee in the story was that he acted as though everything about himself was good. No regrets, no struggling to cope, no darkness. He wasn't opening himself up to Jesus. He was being hypocritical. And while that may fool some of the people some of the time, it will never fool Jesus. So this meant that Jesus couldn't help him. He didn't bring much to Jesus. He didn't ask Jesus to change his life. And therefore, he didn't have much to be grateful to Jesus for because he wouldn't let Jesus help him. So his love for Jesus was nothing compared with the woman who brought everything to him and wanted everything changed. How much are you prepared to let Jesus in? It's not always easy to be honest about our inadequacies, even to ourselves sometimes, to throw ourselves on his mercy, knowing that we can't do it on our own. But when we do, it gives our problems a wider perspective. We know that Jesus has taken the sting out of evil, and one day it will be gone forever. The last verse of the psalm doesn't say that the things troubling us are gone. It says, all my enemies will be overwhelmed. They will turn back. It's not a promise to make problems vanish immediately, but the comfort comes from being heard, from knowing that God knows and he cares, and that gives us comfort. It means we know we're not abandoned in our circumstances. We can rise above them. And that gives us strength to keep going. We don't have to allow our circumstances to overwhelm us. And knowing that redemption is on the way encourages us to look for the little green shoots now of, re of the full redemption that's to come. And that gives us hope. So Psalm 6, a psalm about oppression, a psalm about repentance, a psalm about rescue, all of those, but ultimately a psalm about hope.